This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotion promotional offer not available in washington dc Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. All right, BJ, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, let's jump right into it. What have you been doing recently? So I am a weird hermit that doesn't leave my house because I'm, you know, immunocompromised and the world is still toxic and airborne uh, so uh, i'm being a big indoor ipad kid about things right now so mostly just you know writing and editing for the site writing some of my own stuff and right now i'm doing a ton of research uh for my own podcast i have a podcast about teen girl movies and coming of age stories and uh you know titanic's got a big anniversary this year so i've been falling headfirst into titanic research because mm. People forget that Rose is a 17-year-old, so Titanic is technically a teen girl movie. <laughs> Are you planning to go see uh, Titanic in a theater? Like, have you been able to to go back on you know certain uh, days where it hasn't been the the theaters haven't been as crowded and sort of like sneak in and all masked up and everything? Oh yeah, I go during the matinee and I hang out with all of the old folks and we have a lovely time together sitting in our little bubbles. Um, so I'll definitely be catching a matinee performance of it because uh, Titanic is a movie that I haven't seen in the theater since it first came out and I was a child. So mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see if it is as overwhelming on a big screen as an adult as it was back then. I mean, it's pretty overwhelming on the TV in my house. So <laughs> seeing it on the big screen, I'm sure is going to be like a, a new religious experience. 
Excellent. And just remind people in case they don't know, what is the name of your podcast? I'll put a link to it in the show notes too. Sure. Yeah. My podcast is called This Ends at Prom and we analyze the historical importance and cultural influence of coming of age teen girl stories and movies that also then impacted the way teen girls are uh, presented. So, you know, everything from Clueless to Scott Pilgrim and everything in between. Awesome. Well, I guess along those same lines, it looks like you've been doing some reading about that kind of that that same topic, right? Oh, definitely. So the book that is, you know, sort of my my Bible for our show is uh, called Teen Movie Hell. Um, it is written by the late, great Mike McBeardo McPadden. Um, some folks might recognize his name. He's uh, a critic or an entertainment writer out of Chicago who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But he wrote this book called Teen Movie Hell, and it is like the encyclopedia of teen comedies and sex comedies. So everything from, you know, the the 70s up until I think like 2017, it's, it's it covers. So it's a huge spectrum. And it's really fun to read, you know, somebody who has such an affinity for these films, but at the same time is like not afraid to be critical of like, you know, there's some pretty messed up messaging in a lot of these, but let's acknowledge why it existed. And it's just a really fun read. And there's a lot of other um, contributors uh, with with their pieces in there as well. Like Katie Reif, I know, uh, who's a pretty prominent film writer. She's got a couple essays in there as well. So it's a, it's a really fun read for anybody who's interested in that world of kind of sleazeball sex comedies and wants to know a little bit more about it. Awesome. So that's called Teen Movie Hell. And let's get into what we've been watching. What have you been watching recently, BJ? Um, so the big one is Shrinking on Apple TV+. Plus. I am an unapologetic lover of all the shows that Bill Lawrence puts out. Um, Scrubs is one of like my comfort watches. So I was really excited to see that not only did Bill Lawrence have another show, but that also Jason Siegel and Jessica Williams and Harrison Ford are in it. And I'm completely addicted to it. It is, again, becoming another comfort show for me because that's just what Bill Lawrence does. <laughs> so I've heard mixed things about the show. How would you uh, describe it? How would you compare it to maybe something else, like some other show? It, to me, honestly feels the, like of his shows, it's the closest to like Cougar Town to me than it is to like Ted Lasso or even Scrubs um, because we're dealing with really messy characters and walking into some really unethical territory. I mean, the entire show is about a psychiatrist who is getting way too involved in the lives of his patients as a way to kind of deflect from his own, uh, his own grieving process after losing his wife. So there's a lot of ethical lines being crossed and it's a show about somebody willingly doing that i mean it's it's not a spoiler or anything like that but you know he has a a patient who has a lot of rage and aggression so he's like cool uh, i'm gonna get you into you know boxing and you're just gonna get some of your rage out and you're gonna consensually beat the crap out of somebody to maybe help you out a little bit and while that's like good advice um you know your psychiatrist is not the person who should be driving you to the ring to like get <laughs> advice um so it's been a really fun watch um I've been in therapy my entire life. I've had the same therapist since I was 12 years old, and we have like a pretty good rapport at this point. So it's nice to see a therapy show where a character is like, you know, not afraid to like keep it real with their patients because that's been my experience. But I definitely understand the criticisms because a lot of people are like, this is this is walking a fine line here. And I don't know if it's sticking on it. 
Um, I mean, and then Harrison Ford is kind of being the the grumpy curmudgeon-y father figure that really cares, but also like wants to get you in line with that tough love. Very, very Dr. Cox from Scrubs, but without as much sarcasm because it's grumpy Harrison Ford. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's Shrinking. That is on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, what fe- I've not seen any of Shrinking yet, but what feels like the polar opposite of Shrinking is the next thing that you re- you're going to talk about here. Um, yeah, the next thing that I've been watching is the death of Dick Long. Um, and, uh, that for those who don't know is a feature film directed by, uh, Daniel Scheinert, who's one of Daniels from everything, everywhere, all at once. And I love this movie (laughs) so much because it captures a very specific part of the country that doesn't get shown very often outside of in like these tragedy like hillbilly elegy type plate like pieces anytime you're dealing with either uh you know poor white people in the south or in appalachia or you know rural midwest it's always like some weird cautionary tale and this movie doesn't do that it's like nope these are human beings and they get up into their own weird hijinks um but what those weird hijinks are um i will not say but this movie is so bleak and hilarious unintentionally no it's intentionally let's be real it's intentional um (laughs) at the same time and it's a movie i hadn't watched since it came out but uh, my wife has gotten really into daniel's like swiss army man's one of her favorite movies of all time and i was like oh you know what you haven't seen that you should probably (laughs) see is this one and you know the best part about it is i thought the big reveal was going to be the thing that gets her but it wasn't she's like i just watched two hours of a a man make every wrong decision and be really bad at lying and that's so uncomfortable to watch yeah and uh yeah it's it's great it still holds up (laughs) yeah really really funny movie Uh, i reviewed this out of sundance in 2019 and uh i think it's i gave it like a seven out of ten and and enjoyed it a lot i thought it was like super funny but it's really just grown in my estimation ever since i've thought about it like you know ever since i've seen it just it's been a movie that i can't quite get out of my head i think about it a lot and it's it's one of those that like a lot of times when uh films and tv um i guess center characters who are these sort of like trash southerny characters it really feels like the the people making the movie are looking down on those characters and this is one of the few examples where this is definitely a movie about you know southern hillbillies who listen to trash rock from the early 2000s and you know are like um doing objectively ridiculous things but the movie never really passes moral judgment on them it really just feels like a like a true character study in in the truest sense of the term where it, it just uh lays out their lives and it just feels like it's it's letting you in on these characters and their and their world instead of like pointing and laughing at them. So yes. um, yeah, I, I love that about this movie. And and I think, you know, especially with everything everywhere all at once being such a big deal in the past 12 months and, um, you know, getting on a lot of people's radar and, and maybe even being the front runner for best picture at the Oscars, which is like totally insane to say. Um, I feel like this is one of those movies that sort of slipped through the cracks, even when in its era, when it came out, like a lot of people mm-hmm. weren't aware that one half of Daniels directed this movie. So um, anything we can do, I think, to, to get more people to watch this movie is probably um, a public service announcement of some kind. I agree. And what's been really interesting is my wife was tweeting about it after we watched it because she was just like blown away by how much she loved it and how well, like you said, that, that it captures a very specific type of person without looking down on them, which I think is really important. And uh, like the, the death of Dick Long Twitter account was interacting immediately. And I was like, okay, so someone's either vanity 
be searching or they've got a Google alert set because this is not like a new movie. <laughs> so yeah. if, if you notice that some rando is tweeting about your movie, then like you're still paying attention and you're seeing if people are talking about it. And I think that's exciting. And I, I hope that everything everywhere all at once is getting people to look at movies like The Death of Dick Long and like Swiss Army Man because they're absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and it really has like it's a the type of movie that really wears its its heart on its sleeve too. Like there's some crazy things that happen in the movie like um well, I, again, like you mentioned, I, it's reveal. better <laughs> yeah, it's better left unsaid exactly what happens, but there there's some stuff that is it's pretty out there. It's pretty wild. But at the same time, there's like genuine heart in this movie that um that I think makes it better than just a sort of um I don't know, like a, a country southern fried version of Fargo or you know, some sort of crime comedy like You've mm-hmm. seen those types of riffs a million times. And this one, the mixture of the uh, that sort of um, feeling that the directors and, and the writers are like really uh, on the character sides in a way, and, uh, you know, combined with the humor of it and combined with the, the genuine heart of it really makes it kind of like uh, a step above a lot of its contemporaries, I think so. Um, that is called The Death of Dick Long. Where where did you see that? Do you know if it's streaming anywhere right now? I think it is streaming on Showtime, if I'm remembering that correctly, which also means maybe it's Paramount Plus because right now there's kind of this weird crossover thing as that uh, those streaming platforms are like slowly starting to merge. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's there, but it's definitely streaming because I did not have to pay for it, but I do have you know every subscription service. So <laughs> I just like don't look at my billing statements at the end of the month. I just... It does not exist in my mind. We're just going to leave it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's that's certainly one way of going about it. Um, All right. Before we move on, I want to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. All right. So you and I both had a chance to see Knock at the Cabin, which is M. Night Shyamalan's most recent movie. I'm very curious to to know what you thought about this film because it's getting very, very um, divisive reactions online. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am an unapologetic defender of M. Night Shyamalan. I live and die by his weirdo uh, perspective on films and the adventurous uh, angles that he takes to telling whatever stories he wants, because everyone forgets. M. Night Shyamalan is self-funding his own movies because I saw a lot of people tweeting like, who's giving him money to make this schlock? And I'm like, no one. He's giving himself the money Mm -hmm. and then making a lot of money at the box office to continue doing it. So, you know, if you're going to be mad at anybody, just be mad at him directly. Um, I loved this movie, (laughs) like sincerely uh, enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I have also read the book that it's based on, uh, Cabin at the End of the World uh, by Paul Tremblay. And... I think I prefer M. Night's ending. Wow. Um, the the book ending is incredibly bleak. And like, don't get me wrong, Knock the Cabin is also a bleak film, but the book ending is even more bleak. But the way that Shyamalan took some liberties with Knock at the Cabin, I think made it a stronger piece for me. Um, it's not a happy ending, but at the same time, it is weirdly very hopeful and especially for me as a queer person, like this movie tackles a lot of really intense queer themes and they very much resonated uh, with me. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of the theater feeling really good about myself and in a weird way, like kind of very powerful in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, but I mean, the the one thing that I will say above all else, because I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but Big Dave, Dave Batista, my love, incredible. I was so <laughs> 
happy and like weirdly proud of him because I'm also a wrestling mark. It's a it's a thing. It's who I am. I it's fine. Um, so you know, Dave is he's a wrestling guy for me. So I grew up watching him every week on TV as a wrestler. So I feel like a weird like proud mom now that he's doing films and doing so good. Where I'm like, look at you, look how far you've come. I'm mm-hmm. so proud of you. <laughs> okay, so I actually do want to spoil the end of Knock at the Cabin because this okay. is the one thing that I want to talk about that I haven't had a chance to talk to anybody else about yet. So I'm giving people this long-winded wind-up so they can you know, dive across their room and hit pause or fast forward or whatever if you've not seen Knock at the Cabin yet. Uh, so this is your last chance. We are going to talk about the very end of the movie starting right now. So BJ, I really liked this movie up until like the last you know, one or two minutes of the movie. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how I feel about uh, the song being played in the car and the the surviving dad and his daughter turning the radio off and on. What did you make of that? And, and yeah, what were your thoughts about the way that the movie comes to an end? Okay, so the one thing that like M. Night Shyamalan and I will never see eye to eye on is that he is a man of faith and I am a blasphemous heathen. So (laughs) a lot of times Shyamalan incorporates elements into his films where like something means something or, you know, this thing that you're witnessing is a sign or proof of the afterlife or what have you. So for me, that is how I've interpreted that ending is it's like, yes, the sacrifice was necessary. It did, you know, it prevented the apocalypse, but also like he is still with you. You will carry him with you wherever you go. Here's the song. That's how I interpreted it. Interesting. Okay. I was like, that's fine. I mean, that's a little hokey for me because again, like I don't believe in that sort of thing, but I know that he does. So if he's putting it in there, like that is an intentional decision and it's like, all right, I'm not going to knock him for this being his faith. And like, this is how he views the world and the afterlife and whatnot that's who he is and the fact that he always sticks to his guns on that i actually find rather endearing um but i also just think that m night Shyamalan's perspective of life and humanity and you know the way that marginalized people have to shave themselves down and assimilate in a world that still wants them dead no matter how badly we try to fit in i think is a common theme in a lot of his mm-hmm. work and so he's already gotten like enough like good grace with me for me to like not roll my eyes at that ending. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I did not read that I didn't have that reading on the ending at all. I thought it was just a coincidence and like there's it's a silent sequence right except for the the music in the car and you're supposed to be watching these these actors faces and like all of these emotions playing out across their faces and their their actions obviously represent like how they are choosing to move on or, or move ahead in this world a- after they've done this terrible thing and this, this awful event has befallen them, this choice, this, this horrible choice that they had to make. And I just kind of, I didn't take it as like, oh, this song being played on the radio is uh, sort of the embodiment of um, the surviving or the the uh, the dad who, who was killed, Jonathan Groff's character, um, sort of like reinserting himself into their, into their lives and, and sort of making himself known that way. And like, their acceptance of him that way. I, I never even thought about that, but I should have because you, you're right. Like, obviously, the, the spirit, spirituality is a huge part of, of Shyamalan's filmography. I just thought it was like um, them sort of almost arguing in a way with the turning it off, turning it back on about like how to, how soon are they going to um, get to their new normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's a, concept that rings true to it feels super relevant to me obviously you mentioned the pandemic still going on like 
a lot of people have lost a lot of people in the past few years and uh, life is, is, has not been the same for a lot of folks. And like the idea of making a, a huge change and sort of coming to grips with a new reality and uh, sort of putting your head down and moving forward through that the best way possible is like a, a relevant uh, resonant theme for me. Um, I just wasn't sure about the, the, the way that they, I don't, I don't know if you needed that, but, um, but in your reading, you absolutely do need that. So just interesting stuff to think about. And I, I never didn't read, didn't have your read on it. I really appreciate that. I wonder if other people came to that conclusion. Um, that was the one moment where I sort of bumped on the movie. I was, I was really with it all the way up until that moment. I was like, ah, I just don't know if it really landed for me because I didn't think it was fully necessary, but thinking about it as Jonathan Groff's character coming through the radio to communicate with these characters. Uh, it makes me like it a lot more, honestly. Oh, well, I'm glad that I could help provide that. I mean, I, I think about death a lot, like disproportionately. I had a piece go up pretty recently about The Last of Us episode three. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, are you going to talk about the queer relationship? And I was like, no, I'm going to talk about dying <laughs> uh, because I, you know, I, I think about it quite a bit. So I'm always very interested in the way that Shyamalan presents death. I mean, because you got to think, the movie that you know really put him on the map for everybody is The Sixth Sense, which is a movie entirely about the way that death interacts with you and follows you and what you carry with you. And mm -hmm. America, like Americans, are are a death denying culture. We just are. Like people will have a death, and it's like, okay, I took one day off of work, and now I'm back, and we're just gonna push it down and ignore it and work through it because capitalism has turned us all into putting headed people. I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it. Um, so because of that, I don't think we think about the longevity of death outside of, you know, just, you know, spirituality purposes. But I think knowing that that's such a common motif in his film, um, that's where my read comes from. I think without his filmography, I don't think that that read is as obvious. Yeah. Um, but again, like I'm a weirdo who defends a lot of his terrible, terrible movies um, <laughs> and finds the merit in all of them. So uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about that ending. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, good stuff. I, I would highly recommend people check out Knock at the Cabin, even if you don't end up loving exactly where it goes. But um, hopefully folks who uh, skipped ahead and didn't want to hear anything are, are rejoining us now. Um, so I'll just mention a couple things that I've been watching recently. I caught up with the first season of Dark, the Netflix show. Have you seen the show? Such a good show. It's okay. wild. <laughs> yeah. So the best way that I can describe this, this is a German show. I want to say it came out in like 2017, 2019, maybe somewhere around there. Um, the first season, which is all that I've seen so far, I think there are three total seasons. The first season reminds me a lot of a combination of Stranger Things, Twin Peaks, Lost, and Stephen King's It. Yep. <laughs> uh, so if you like those things, I would recommend checking out Dark. The only, um, and it's not even like a uh, hesitation or a drawback or a reason that I would, would not recommend people watch it because I definitely would. The only thing that um, <laughs> that I guess is notable about this was uh, it takes place across multiple time periods and you're tracking the same characters in this very, very small town. And you're tracking the same characters who are having relationships and affairs and uh, there are a lot of families and brothers and sisters and because the show is not in english I, I watched it with the original german language and with english subtitles um i was just having a lot of trouble tracking the characters and like i know that's like a super basic thing to say but certainly like at certain points my wife and i looked at each other and we we're like man this is like worse than game of thrones <laughs> like the very beginning of game <laughs> of thrones like the, all the character names kind of sound the same and uh there's so many where you're like okay 
so this person is who now? Like, how, how do they relate to this other person here? And like, there's so much time spent uh, for us anyway, sort of pausing it and being like, okay, just to make sure we're on the same page here. This person is married to this person who's having an affair with this person. And that's that person's dad and this person's grandmother. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's just so much uh, interconnectivity because the, the, the universe of the show is so small in that, that first season anyway, in that really small town. But the narrative is like super propulsive and really, really um, a great mystery and super entertaining. So um, yeah, like I said, Stranger Things, Twin Peaks, Lost in It, just like put them all in a blender and yeah, in a, in a German blender maybe, and uh, <laughs> and you'll get uh, the first season of Dark. So I'm, I'm curious to see where the show goes. Um, the, the first season ends in a way where it, it gives a pretty strong hint as to what the, the next phase of the story is going to be. Um, but uh, I'll just ask you, BJ, like without giving any spoilers away, would you say that the, the three season arc um, was a satisfying journey for you overall? Cause this sort of feels like I know a lot of people had trouble with lost and, and problems with that show and feeling like, Lost let them down at the end. I'm one of those psychos who loved Lost all the way through pretty much and, <laughs> and you know, uh, like a big defender of the final season and the finale and everything. So um, what do you think about the the ultimate uh, arc of Dark? Is it is it satisfying for you? So I feel about Dark the same way that I feel about Glow, which is that I am okay with the fact of where it ended, but you could tell that they wanted more story and then it didn't happen. Um, Mm. And so that's a bummer to me. But I think that for the seasons that we got, it's it's pretty solid. It's pretty fun. Um, This is, I think, this is a show that had it not been German, unfortunately, I think would have been like one of the biggest shows on the network because it is so compelling and Mm -hmm. i keep seeing people like discovering it you know in the aftermath being like what why was nobody talking about this and it's like i assure you we were yeah (laughs) but nobody watched it yeah it's been on my list of things to watch since it premiered because i i remember people talking about it and saying this is great and i feel like it's one of the first big sort of international um, obviously like Squid Game sort of changed the narrative for Netflix right, in right. terms of like a global success story. But but Dark was like a, a lower key version of that, you know, several years earlier where it was like a, a big crossover hit that that uh, went to multiple um, countries and, and all that stuff. Like people watched it and sort of ate it up um, from all over the world. So uh, yeah, anyway, first season streaming on Netflix right now. Check it out. Uh, I highly recommend uh, maybe create your own red yarn wall or something just to track all of the characters because uh, it can get a little dicey at times. But um, but yeah, super entertaining stuff. I, I really love the the look, the score, all of it. It's just a, a really great um, experience. So check that out. Uh, the only other thing that I wanted to mention is I watched a movie called Without Love from 1945 starring Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Uh, and Lucille Ball actually has a, a small role in this movie too. Have you ever seen this one, PJ, Without Love? Is this the one that's like World War II? Uh, it's so um, Spencer Trace's character is working as a, a military research scientist who ends up like renting out the basement of uh, Catherine Hepburn's character. And he is trying to um, develop some sort of uh, gas mask technology for the military during World War II. Yes. And the two of them, the basic premise is the two of them have had uh, previous relationships and they are thrown together in this apartment and realize Hey, we should get married, but without any of the uh, the quote unquote baggage, like without uh, without introducing love into the equation, we can just 
if we do that, this will be a great uh, partnership where there's, there's no chance of us getting jealous or bickering or, you know, um, all of the sort of typical downsides that you associate with marriage. We can just sort of eschew all of that and have this really great uh, partnership. And then, of course, they end up like actually falling in love with each other. So that's, that's the basic premise. So I haven't seen this since probably my freshman year of college because uh, <laughs> the theater group I was in did a play uh, about falling in love kind of at the end of the world sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that this was on the list of movies that, you know, oh, if you need a movie to help prepare, watch this one. So it's been a very, very – I like – did not remember that I had actually seen this until you started describing it. And then it like unlodged from the recesses of my mind. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I like the premise a little bit more than the actual execution of this movie. I think um, obviously like Tracy and Hepburn were, are one of the most famous, um, you know, pairing on-screen pairings of all time. Um, I've not seen all of their pairings, but I've seen several at this point. And this one's like, I guess, middle of the road to me. Um, there's just something about the way Spencer Tracy's character is written in this film that's like a little, little odd even for the the time I think. Um, but you know, th- there's a great like Catherine Hepburn monologue in the beginning of the movie that that's super emotional and and uh, you know, obviously you can see like why these people were two of the most beloved period you know uh, actors of their their period. So um, th- there's definitely good stuff in here, and, and Lucille Ball has fun a really really small role. I wish she was in it more. Uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say like put without love at the top of your list if you've never seen a Tracy Hepburn uh, pairing. But, um, you know, if you're completist or, or just looking for, you know, something like relatively light and frothy, uh, you can check it out. It's like a, a I guess you'd call it a rom-com by 1945 <laughs> standards. So, uh, yeah, I, I watched that on TCM. I'm not sure if it's um, if it's streaming anywhere. I'll, I'll check that out. Uh, but in the meantime, what have you been eating, BJ? Oh, my God. I am like living off of soup right now. Um it's been unusually cold in Los Angeles and I just wanted soup. Like I wanted something warm. So I've been going on TikTok and finding all these weird crock pot recipes to make soup. <laughs> so I've just been making a lot of soup and living off it and having a good time. And uh, it's just been nice to feel a little bit of like warmth and, you know, that that like wintry fall feeling that you don't really get in California because we kind of don't have seasons. I mean, like mm-hmm. we do, but we really don't. Um, and I'm a Midwest trash girl at heart, so I miss soup season. So I've just been eating a lot of soup. Great stuff. Yeah, I, I will give a, a very quick uh, tip. If you're in the South and there's a Publix near you, you probably already know that Publix chicken tenders are just amazing. Uh, here's a, a small hack for you. If you've never tried this, try putting a Publix chicken tender on a Hawaiian roll and making your own sandwich. It's uh, like next level divine. So check that out if you're in the South. I'm not sure exactly how far Publix's reach extends across this country now, but I I know it's definitely in the the Southeast anyway. So um, my parents retired to Florida, so I am uh, I'm well-versed in Publix. Hell yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the um, the only good things about the state. Well, that's not true. But um, you know, one of the only good food things anyway. Hey, you also um, get like casual alligator encounters. That's cool. <laughs> I guess. When you grew up with it, it it's not as uh, exciting as as maybe it seems from the outside. Not quite yeah, as good glamorous, point. but um, okay, so I just checked and without love is uh, you can rent it on Apple and Amazon, uh, YouTube and all that for like $3 if you want to check that out somewhere. Nice. Um, okay. So let's get into the final little stretch here, BJ, which is uh, what we've been playing. What have you been playing recently? All right. So I have talked about this on Slash Film multiple times, but I am 
garbage at video games because I didn't grow up with them. I couldn't afford the consoles. I was really poor. So how everybody in the world seems to have this like innate knowledge of Mario Kart tracks and all of that. Like I don't have any of that. I mm-hmm. You are basically playing with a toddler that you would normally just give them a controller and not plug it in and make them pretend like they're playing. Like that's the level of bad I am at video games. Um, but <laughs> I've been getting really into Mario Kart 8 recently and my wife is a big gamer and she is very specifically a Nintendo gamer, so she's very, very good at it. So it's fun to play because she will win and I will be in last, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> but it's been a, a very nice, <laughs> a nice little avenue for me to get out some of the rage that I have just to like swear at my TV. Because I do love that Nintendo doesn't do the headset thing the way that like Xbox and all of that does, mm-hmm. because now I can scream at the TV and, you know, call somebody any number of expletives when they hit me with a red shell and like I'm not actually hurting someone's feelings it is like been so weirdly cathartic and therapeutic and it also is weirdly therapeutic to to lose and to be bad because I am a stressful person who like wants things to be perfect and good all the time and Mm -hmm. to willingly put myself in a position where I know that I'm going to fail it's weirdly comforting yeah that's interesting I hadn't thought about that but just like um sort of easing into it and just like it's okay, man. Like we're letting it happen kind of thing. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. That's a, that's a fascinating mindset to go into playing. Mario It'll be Kart. like lap two and it's like, oh, I'm in 12th. You know what? I'm just going to go for a drive then. And I'm going to go around these loops and pay attention to what the toads are doing on the side and whatever yeah. weird stuff that you don't get to actually look at because you're too worried about winning. It's been peaceful. I like don't know how else to explain it. Yeah. My, uh, my wife and I have a switch and we, bought Mario Kart 8 a few years ago and uh and finally just like recently got back into playing it and um yeah it's it's so much fun and like I feel like we're both pretty evenly matched so we're we're not there's not one of us that's like always in first and the other one's always in last we're like fighting each other for you know first or second place or something like that so uh we have a, a slightly different dynamic than you and your wife it sounds like but um what character do you play I, I feel like I'm I go back and forth between like I like the ridiculous characters. I like Waluigi. I think he's my favorite. That's my mm-hmm. sort of like go-to. I just like the, uh, in Mario Kart 8, there's a thing where if you go over uh, a ramp or something and like shake the controller or, you know, do some little jump button or something at the same time, the characters like um, essentially do like Tony Hawk tricks in their vehicles yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, yell out or something and and uh, in their distinct voices. And um, I just appreciate the ridiculousness of like this gangly, uh, obviously, like ripoff version of Mario and Luigi. The sort of like um, I don't know. I, I don't know what the the true uh, lore of Waluigi is. Like what his relationship is. Um, <laughs> but like him and uh, and Wario, just like these these sort of goofy like anti versions of the heroes that we know. Um, I just love the uh, the ridiculousness of those characters. So th- so I'm a Waluigi person. What what uh, go to character do you pick, PJ? So I'm a Dry Bones. I have gone through kind of all of the characters to figure out which ones that I like the best. But I am a forever spooky kid, so I tend to lean towards the spooky characters anyway. King Boo is the one I want to play as, but he's too heavy and I can't control him. So <laughs> I have to use Dry Bones, and I'm very happy with Dry Bones. He's like my comfort zone. But like that just 
is who I am in gaming. Every time I play Super Smash Brothers, I also always play as Kirby, but specifically the white variant because then he looks like a ghost. Like, I, mm-hmm. I just, I live my gimmick and I accept that about myself. Um, but yeah, Dry Bones has been great. And his tricks, like his little Tony Hawk tricks uh, when you do the jumps are fun because he's a skeleton. So his like bones come apart <laughs> when he does it, <laughs> which is really fun. Um, but also I can't answer Waluigi lore because... Um, uh, for those who don't know what I look like, I am built like a teapot. I'm very short and stout. And then my wife is really tall and thin. So we have a perpetual like Laurel and Hardy thing going on in our lives. So <laughs> it's great for like couples costumes because there are so many pairings in the world where one is really tall and thin and the other one is short and fat. It's great. And Waluigi and Wario are on like the long list of costumes we're going to one day do. And uh, they're basically they're the arch rivals um, of each character like they're the the definition of like the evil twin with the mustache like that's who they are in in the world of mario yeah i wasn't sure if they like popped up out of a a pipe somewhere or if they were like engineered in a lab by bowser to be the (laughs) the rivals or like what what the deep deep lore is but um yeah super entertaining either way um the last question I have about Mario Kart 8, have you guys messed with the like battle mode at all? Do you play like the, you know, where you drive around and like pop each other's balloons and that kind of stuff? Or are you just like pure into the racing side of it? I am so bad at the balloon one. Like I have to work my way up there. I watch her play uh, the balloon version because I just can't do it. I'm so yeah. bad. She's really good at it. I'm terrible um i'm really good at like the game binding of isaac i don't know if you ever played that it's basically like og legend of zelda but it's all spooky and haunted like i'm really good at that one uh but anything else i can't also like (laughs) this sounds so like casual about it but i also have brain damage from when i had cancer surgery so i also can't play games like splatoon because you have to like use the controller to also handle perspective at the same time and it like short circuits me and my entire body makes the window shutdown sound so i can't (laughs) play that game so like Mm -hmm. mario kart i have to be like very specific of like i know my pattern i know how to do this yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, like the I feel like I'm I have the mechanics of the racing down, but they're the uh like balloon battles or whatever you want to call them. The, I guess they're just called battles. Um the, it's a little bit different because you have to like stop and go in reverse and make like super tight turns and things that are different than, you know, the the sort of like gliding around on the track uh where you're just like constantly moving forward at all times. There's like more of a a different skill set for the uh you know turn on a dime like somebody's just passing you and you have to like go after them kind of thing um that that you get in the battle mode so and you have to be good at aiming like with shells and bombs and things and i don't have that when i'm racing i'm just like oh i got a shell throwing it into the air praying for the best (laughs) oh man well uh now i'm i'm sad that nintendo doesn't do the uh the headset thing because I would love to jump on and play Mario Kart across the country <laughs> with you, BJ. That would like be so fun. much fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for, for uh, today's episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and please subscribe to our newsletter. You can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.